A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, and alongside me as usual, we have, of course, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and also with us, the President of the Misfiring Strikers Club. It is Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show this week. Even before those injuries, I was just I was just starting to lean towards Chelsea, um, and, and they won't be favourites in the eyes of the bookmakers. I think most people expect them to lose, but... I think they're more than capable. We've seen it this season. They're a good cup side of turning up and producing their best performance. And if they do, I think that could be an issue for Liverpool. Right, if I was uh, buying shares at this moment in time, it would certainly be in uh, B&Q or home base, uh, bearing in mind that half the Premier League's recruitment and sporting director staff are on gardening leave. I think at some point, even if it's behind the scenes, he's got to go into the dressing room and say... I am backing this man. Okay, publicly is one thing, but privately, the players need to know. They need to do what Eric Ten Hag says. And you have to start to question why does he keep picking up these injuries? So I wonder long term if United will will look at that left back area as a position under Ratcliffe that that needs some work. And yes, we did uh, get Scott speaking to one of his favourite players this week. So we will bring you a little flavour of... Minto and Jackson. Yes, Nicholas Jackson. Looking forward to hearing him a little bit later on. And Scott, did you have a nice time speaking to Nicholas Jackson? Is he for real? Oh, very good. Um, you're out of order, trying to say I'm the president of his uh, fan club. I just see talent, potential. And I, actually, he walked into the room and you know when you get the feeling that someone would rather be anywhere else in the world other than doing some interviews? Do you have that a lot? Yeah, he was really interesting. And, and you know, I, I can talk a bit longer uh, later on, but there's a lot of talent and potential there, untapped talent with inside him because he never had proper coaching as a kid. So, yeah, he's probably a little bit further ahead than where he should be right now. But uh, there's a lot of potential. He's got goals. He's got goals and he played really well against Manchester City on Saturday night. Yes, there was a couple of mishaps even in that game, but he's definitely got potential. We'll talk about that uh, as we build up to the Carabao Cup final very shortly. Arsenal in action in midweek. Disappointing in Porto, Crook. Really disappointing. Um, Was it not a single shot on target in the game? I mean, a brilliant winner that Porto have scored. A few people criticising David Raya. Not entirely convinced there's much he could have done to keep out that shot. But um, yeah, I was surprised how passive Arsenal were. I mean, had they got a nil-nil, I guess you could have labelled it a classic away performance. And actually, even with a one-nil deficit, I'd still make them favourites to go through. But it wasn't great from Arsenal. I wonder if that 35-second yellow card from Declan Rice set the tone, because after that, he had to play within himself. 
I think a lot of his teammates seem to as well. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Liverpool started slowly in their game against Luton, but came back to win. Manchester City, I was but both games. Uh, that was um, you know, a bit of a dog of a match, really. They had to dig in and really have a go at, at Brentford. Brentford played well, I thought, for most of it. Uh, and only the slip from Christopher Raya cost them. And then on Monday night, I went to uh, Everton against Crystal Palace. And that's worth about this long talking about it. <laughs> right, let's move on to the Carabao Cup final. determined to finish the season in style. They have a quadruple in sight. It's on. It's yes. there to be done. It would be remarkable. It would be something that's never been done in, the, in any era. It feels great. We are really happy. The boys wanted it. The boys got it. We are looking forward to Wembley, definitely. Everyone's giving it that little bit of extra because of the love for Jürgen and is going to believe in and wants to send him off on a high. It's a beautiful Liverpool goal inspired by the return of the Egyptian king. And Cole Palmer picks it up. Palmer! Cole Palmer! expertly finishes with his left foot. We are going to have another battle. I think it's going to be uh, amazing. It's a cup final. Anything can happen. Chelsea have got match winners. they got players that can produce. It's not a done deal. Of course they have a chance. A Sunday service like no other at football's great cathedral. Well, Liverpool have warmed up for the Carabao Cup final with a midweek victory over Luton. It wasn't all one-way traffic, actually, and Luton took the lead in the game. Chidozi Ogbeni with an excellent goal, well worked down the left-hand side, where they did have a little bit of a problem in that first 45 minutes. And Scott, having watched that game, do you think that maybe that's an area where Chelsea will target? I mean, Conor Bradley's played very, very well, but at times he has sort of wandered into midfield and sort of, vacated that area a bit like Trent Alexander-Arnold has? Well, I think it's very important he doesn't try to be Trent Mark too, because I think Trent, in terms of on the ball, I don't think he's a more talented English player and what he does with his with his passing. Connor just needs to be himself. And that is, I've likened him to sort of Rob Jones back in the day, almost, okay, he came from crew, but coming from nowhere. He just needs to do what he's done in the in the game so far. He's a very, very good player. Be the more conventional right back. He's better than Trent one-on-one defending and he can get forward down the outside as well. But yeah, don't try and be Trent. Yeah, I thought actually he was he was terrific in the second half of the game yesterday and, and I, they took him off after 66 minutes because I think they're protecting him for the final itself. And I spoke to him last night, first time I've spoke to him. He's uh, He talked to me about the fact that the club had, had supported him through a very emotional time with the death of his father in the last couple of weeks. Talks about breaking into the team, and he did actually talk about stepping into the shoes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, and actually saying, "I'm just trying to play my my own game." I, I'm going to tip him for a very good cup final, I think, because I think he's the kind of player that sort of deals with going into these huge matches or these huge arenas very, very well. You know, he made a Northern Ireland debut at a very young age. He's obviously played for Liverpool, and now he gets to play in a cup final. Um, he will play in the game, but will Salah and Nunez because they did not play in the match in midweek. Now, that would be a little bit strange if they were targeting the Carabao Cup final over three points in the Premier League, bearing him on the title race, Crook. But it might just be a bit of protectionism for those two players who are heading towards the red zone. Yeah, he wasn't giving much away, was he, after the game? Jurgen Klopp, he said he, he didn't know if they'd be available. They're going to have to make a, a late call. I think you're right. I think it would be strange, even though it was Luton at home, if, if Klopp was sort of resting them um, for the weekend. So clearly, I think there is a genuine fitness concern. 
And I think it's a big problem, certainly in the case of, of Salah. You know, he's somebody who thrives on the, the bigger stage. I think Chelsea will be absolutely delighted if, if his name in particular is not on the team sheet. But even before those injuries, I was just I was just starting to lean towards Chelsea. Um, and, and they won't be favourites in the eyes of the bookmakers. I think most people expect them to lose. But I think they're more than capable. We've seen it this season. They're a good cup side of turning up and producing their best performance. And if they do, I think that could be a, an issue for Liverpool. Well, it will be an issue for Liverpool if they win the game because they will be expecting to win and they'll be followed by a horde of supporters going down to Wembley who will expect that too. I must admit, I think Liverpool will win the cup final. I think they're in a, a certain vein of form. They were terrific in the second half on on Wednesday night. The real blitz, a whirlwind to turn that game from 1-0 Luton to, to 3-1 Liverpool in the blink of an eye, really. It was, it was brilliant. And bearing in mind, they didn't have any of their front three um, that they would usually display in those big games. You know, Jota was out, Salah was out, Nunez was out last night. I thought it was really important that all three of the, the replacements in Gakpo, Diaz and Elliot scored in that game. The injury crisis is real though, isn't it? You know, they're in the middle of a run of what could be 26 games in 99 days. That's a game every 3.8 days or something like that, Scott. You know, it, it will be an issue if these injuries persist and might well cause them an issue. Is that you doing the working out that you've been doing from uh, dancing on ice when the graphics aren't working and you, you quickly do in your head? Oh, yeah. I had to do that the other day when Scott was there. The uh, the scoreboard didn't work. I had to add it up myself. And then someone put in a 0.5. Why did you do that? <laughs> no, no, but you're right. I mean, everyone, again, is talking still about the, the possible um, you know quadruple and what they can do. Uh, but if you've got, let's just say, hypothetically, Jota, Salah, Nunez and Alisson out for a period of time, you know, you, you win games in both boxes. You control the game in midfield, but you win the games in both boxes. And Liverpool, game after game after game, coming thick and fast. Yes, they can beat Luton and come back from behind at Anfield. But to do that away from home with against more difficult opposition, I mean that with the greatest respect to Luton, I think it's going to be very tough. So, Absolutely. You can dip in and dip out to your kids every now and again. And in the second half, they were superb at Anfield against Luton. But you, you can't do that going deep into, you know, wanting to win the Premier League, wanting to win the Europa League and and trying to get in the domestic cups as well. So I'm fascinated to see who's going to be fit. I do think a lot of it really does depend on Liverpool's team selection in this game against Chelsea. If they've got as full a strength side as they could possibly put out, I think they will go on and win the game. But Chelsea, you just never know. You just never know where, where they are. And at the moment, they're in a good place. And I'm a lot more confident than I was three weeks ago after that 4-1 drubbing at Anfield. Well, I think one thing they won't have is they won't have their first choice goalkeeper. But Kelleher was always going to play anyway. And although yeah. he isn't quite up to Alisson's standard, in fact, he, he isn't Alisson's standard. Jurgen Klopp, when he was speaking to me, I think on Saturday, actually, he was saying... Don't worry about the Allison situation because I have already a number one B goalkeeper. So it was sort of almost suggesting that Cueving was just as just as up there as as Allison. And his distribution in the game against Luton, I thought, was terrific because it was obviously a tactic to play a little bit longer and a little bit quicker. And he was bowling the ball out with his arms at rapid speed and and with real accuracy. But also he's kicking over the top of the defence. So they'd spotted a weakness in in Luton and they went to exploit it. And Kelleher was more than capable of doing that. And those long raking balls actually might cause Chelsea a problem if if they decide to play a high line, which I think they will with Thiago Silva injured, Alex. 
Yeah, I think he's a good goalkeeper, um, and I think he's a he's a very modern goalkeeper for the reasons that, that you've just said. I'm not sure Thiago Silva being injured is is necessarily a weakness for Chelsea. I think that they've probably moved on from Thiago Silva now. <laughs> I think it's his a wife bit of a bonus, them actually. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think they look a better team without Thiago Silva in it. Um, but it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if they can have as much success against that Chelsea defence, which is still far from watertight as they did um, against Luton. Uh, we're anticipating another long afternoon. Can we can we see a repeat of what happened when they met a couple of years ago? Oh, and we go all the way to penalties? No. <laughs> Twice that happened. I, I was at both cup finals in uh, 2022 where they ended up nil-nil and going to penalties. And actually, the penalty shootout in the Carabao Cup was an absolute nightmare. It went on into the night, didn't it? I think everyone took a penalty. And then, was it Caparita Balaga ended up missing the, the, the penalty, uh, which meant that... Uh, Kelleher, who'd previously scored, uh, could celebrate. Uh, and Liverpool won the cup as a result of it. Um, one thing Chelsea will need if they're going to beat Liverpool is, is the ability to score goals. And, and Liverpool give you the chance to do that. Nicholas Jackson has been speaking to Scott Minto about uh, how he deals with missed chances. Sometimes I go to sleep thinking, still watching the same videos always, like I should have done better. Well, you know, um, I've, I've seen many... When I was young, I've seen Benzema playing for Madrid. I was supporting Madrid when I was young, and Benzema was missing a lot, a lot of chance. But you know, later he won the Ballon d'Or. I'm not saying you know I'm that level. I cannot be that level now. But I mean, I've seen it before, so I'm not worried. So I'm just trying to improve and try to be you know improve every day and try to be what I want to be you know in football. What did you make of him then, Scott? I mean, he, he talked about those missed chances. And I thought he answered the question really well. You know, he sort of he didn't say, I'm going to win the Ballon d'Or or I'm going to be carrying Benzema. But he sort of said, you know, you've got to miss big chances if you're going to be a big striker. And if you look at the top of the list in the Premier League of, of people that have missed big chances, number one on that list is Erling Haaland. Yeah, absolutely. And I spent a lot of time thought how I'd word that question as well, because... He does get a lot of stick for missing chances, but he is a raw talent. He's quick, he's strong, he gets himself in the positions. And when you think that he hasn't been properly coached or, or wasn't sort of through an academy and actually only had one full season at, at Villarreal, he, he's he's ahead of his of where he should be in terms of his development. So I've, I genuinely believe under Pochettino, he can get that composure about how to, to literally be have those ice cold veins just in as you're about to stick the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, look, you know, I think it was the perfect example that he used. Karen Benzema, he's not saying he will be Karen Benzema, but the best can miss. You've come out with a stat of Erling Haaland as well. The important thing is, is what I tried to say in the question as well, was I played with some world-class players. It wasn't just the goals they scored. It was how they dealt with the misses. And he seems to be very confident in himself. He, he said he's had belief as a, from a kid that he'd go on and play in Europe. You know, not necessarily Chelsea, but definitely play in Europe. So, look, I believe in the next year or two, we'll see a lot better of Nicholas Jackson. At this moment in time, you know, he's still very raw, but there's a lot of talent there. He spoke really good English, didn't he? What was he like as a character? Well, as I say, when he first walked in, it was like he didn't want to be there. But, you know, I, I tried to speak a little bit of Spanish to him to, to warm him up, and he, he did warm you up a little bit. You charmed him, didn't you? You charmed him. Well, you know... You just try and find a way when it's someone like that and you've never met them and they don't, you know, they've never met you and you get that vibe of, okay, I've got to try and warm them up before we go live in inverted commas. So 
but you could tell that actually he's a really good lad. He's a really good young lad. Once he started to open up, I think he's just a little bit wary of the critics and the media, and he doesn't know that not all the media are, you know, criticising him. And as I say, I, I'm supportive not just of him, but I know how difficult that striker's role must be, not from personal experience, obviously, but it's a lonely, lonely experience. And when you miss, people are desperate to jump on you and you have to have a very, very strong character. Strikers and goalkeepers need to be extremely strong to 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 really succeed in today's game. I wonder how much confidence Chelsea would have taken from that result against Manchester City. But they are so unpredictable, Crook. You know, that they can put together a brilliant performance like they did against Aston Villa, then go to Crystal Palace and stink the joint out for 50 minutes. They can, they can you know, turn up against Manchester City and then you wouldn't put it past them beating Liverpool and then going to lose to Leeds next Wednesday. I mean, that's the sort of team that Chelsea are. Yeah, but I think when you're when you're building your model around young players, young players make mistakes, young players have off days, and it's an issue for Chelsea if more than one of their young players has an off day together. But I think they've got some characters in that team who will relish this kind of occasion. Sounds like Nicholas Jackson is up for it. Conor Gallagher, we know he's going to be up for it. Cole Palmer, I think, will thrive on a stage like this. So I don't have any fear that Chelsea won't turn up for this game. You're right, they're probably more likely not to turn up for the Leeds FA Cup tie. Uh, interesting you talk about young players. Um, I was really impressed last night when I went to the Liverpool-Luton game with James McConnell, Bobby Clark, players that came on. Connor Bradley, obviously, I've already mentioned. Um, Harvey Elliott, still very, very young. And uh, Liverpool have got a lot of good young players and they brought on, and Scott, you'll remember this player, Neil Danz's son. Neil Dandy's played for Crystal Palace, played at Birmingham, played mm. elsewhere across the leagues. Mm. He was actually a schoolboy at Liverpool. His kid is a striker. Now, Neil Dandy's got a short little midfield player, but his son is a massive striker. He's huge. And he played a part in the fourth goal. I've seen him score a couple of goals in the youth team, actually, and I was thought, oh, you keep an eye on that lad. Who's that? He's good. Um, just in clips when I've been doing research for, for other things. And he came on and he, he looked like a, he looked, he looked at home. And I thought, crikey, they've got another one that's coming off the, off the, off the rank here, which is, which is great for Liverpool going forward. And I think those younger players have really helped them actually this year in bolstering the squad. It's not, the, the rebuild's been great. The midfield stuff has been great. But actually, you know, the idea that um, they've got some resources behind the scenes that they've been able to bring into the, the starting lineup or, or into the squad at vital times has been really key as well. Um, quick word on uh, Sam Jewell. Um, Chelsea stealing another jewel from the Brighton recruitment team. <laughs> Is this going to be a, a valuable acquisition like all the other ones have been? Sort of. <laughs> well, it's a uh, it's a familiar train now, isn't it, for people from uh, from Brighton to Chelsea. Listen, he's very highly regarded, um, Sam Jewell. By all accounts, a really good lad, very diligent, has conducted himself brilliantly. Uh, throughout this process, I think there's maybe a little bit of unhappiness from Brighton that Chelsea never actually made formal contact before. Uh, Sam Jewell told them that he had the job offer, obviously like Dan Ashworth, he's going to be on a period of gardening leave, but nowhere near as long. I think November he'll be able to take up situ. And uh, yeah, he'll join a, a recruitment team that probably based on the previous few windows are in need of a little bit of help. Crikey, if I was uh, buying shares at this moment in time, it would certainly be in uh, B&Q or home base, uh, bearing in mind that half the Premier League's recruitment and sporting director staff are on gardening leave. Um, <laughs> I mean, crikey. 
you would have thought people just pay them out, wouldn't you? So they just get on with their jobs. I mean, have Chelsea got a bit of an issue here, Scott, in that they, they, they seem not to be able to use LinkedIn. They can only go and recruit people from Brighton. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, you mentioned last week, didn't you, about sort of, you know, how well Brighton have done it makes it difficult for so many other clubs for different reasons. And, and I mean, Tony Bloom is the one that you want. He's the genius, but you're not going to get him. Um, exactly. <laughs> but but they would have learned a lot, lot off him. And in theory, uh, you know, and, and any signing, both on the pitch or off it, is a gamble. You're never quite sure how it's going to work. But you would have thought it would have worked a lot better now with some a lot of the Chelsea people, um, the Brighton people that have gone to Chelsea. Hopefully this one does. And, and just on, you know, final one on the game itself. Can I mention Malagusto, who I think has been absolutely Excellent. superb? I think he, you're right. He, he really has. He, he's he, even through the tough times and the bad performances. I think he's been superb. He looks like he's really confident. You know, when someone needs two or three touches to bring the ball down, he doesn't. He's got a first touch. He bombs on. He plays like a wing back, even though he's a winger. And I thought he, even though he's a fullback, sorry. And I thought he played Doku extremely well. So you talk about Connor Bradley on one side. The biggest compliment I can give Malagusto is that Reese James is not Mr. Tall. And if he were fit, I'd keep Gusto in the side. Um, Crook's got his hand up, which means there must be something revelatory happening. No, no, I just wanted to add, Scott's hit the nail on the head. The, the issue that anyone taking anyone from the recruitment team at Brighton has got is they're not Tony Bloom. And, and yes, they learn from Tony Bloom, but ultimately Tony Bloom has his secrets very well hidden. So, you know, they'll get a data sheet of players that he recommends they take a look at but they don't know the algorithms of how he actually gets to that list of names. So I guess it's a little bit foolhardy. I, I think a lot of people don't realise just how hands-on Bloom is. If you're Paul Winstanley, you must know that. So you're the sporting director at Chelsea. You know that he keeps all the secrets. It's like, it's like I just don't understand why they think that's the only model. Why don't they just try and get someone who can build them a model in the vein of Tony Bloom? It's just crazy for me. Anyway, let's move on because we've talked a lot about Chelsea and Liverpool. The cup final is live on TalkSport. It'll be uh, Adrian Durham, myself and Stuart Pearce there on Sunday afternoon. It kicks off at three o'clock. And also on Sunday, we'll be warming up down at Box Park at 11 o'clock with Adi Oladipo, Liverpool fan, and Rory Jennings, Chelsea fan, uh, in the build-up to the big game. On to the weekend's Premier League action now, starting at Old Trafford, where it's the dawn of a new era. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Well, Sir Jim Ratcliffe was all over the place yesterday speaking to uh, the media and uh, discussing the takeover of Manchester United. I thought he was quite impressive in his interviews, Crook, and he sort of pretty much outlined his plans very succinctly. Win on the field, make Old Trafford better. And batter Man City on the field as well was one of the sort of uh, standout quotes for me. He spoke very well, but we've got a good friend in the media who tells us that no new manager ever gives a bad first press conference. And I guess it's the same with new owners as well. You know, you, you can only really win in, in those press conferences. Although we got a little bit of grief for, for suggesting the Glazers are big Manchester United fans. But we know there's a an agreement as part of the takeover or the minority takeover that neither party can publicly criticise the other. So that's no real surprise that he's come out in support of the Glazers. But I, I think he said a lot of the right things. It won't happen overnight. He's got a three-year plan, um, which... Even that may be a little bit ambitious if you're talking of catching Man City and and Liverpool and the like. It sounds like he's really keen to bulldoze Old Trafford and and start again on the same site. I'd still prefer if they can sprucing up the old girl, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And I I think he spoke about just creating a more positive infrastructure, about creating a style of play which maybe has been lacking. So he ticked all the right boxes, but the, the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah, and no bad interview ever given by uh, a manager or a, a new owner in the first instance, unless they're Alan Perrine, um, <laughs> anyone who remembers Portsmouth from yeah. 2004. Um, he could give a bad interview or two. Um, I, I thought he was he was great. He came off with it came up with the, the right phrases about knocking Manchester City off their perch and Liverpool off their perch, and you know he talks about the environment about how they need to improve that because they've had some great coaches and none of them have been able to thrive in the Manchester United environment in recent years. But if you look back at um, what he said, he was very non-committal about the future of Eric Ten Hag, I thought. He, he, he said, I won't talk about individuals. It's not fair to do so. I thought that was interesting, Scott. Absolutely. If you're going to back him and you want to send a statement to the players in the dressing room, you know, as a player, I'll be listening to that. And if if he turns around and says, Eric Ten Hag is my man and I'm going to back him and give him what he wants, then I've not really got to start listening to the manager. If I'm one of these prima donnas who think I can do what I want and that I'll last longer than the manager and he hasn't come out and said that, I'm thinking, well, he, he's undecided. I don't necessarily blame him for saying that, Um Although I'd, I still think it would have been nice. I think at some point, even if it's behind the scenes, he's got to go into the dressing room and say, I am backing this man. Okay, publicly is one thing, but privately, the players need to know, they need to do what Eric Ten Hag says. Because if they just think he could be gone in the summer, they're going to carry on doing whatever they're doing. I do think the fact that Sir Jim's come in in the first place has given the players a kick up the backside. And yeah. they now realise yeah. that the Glazers from America, who don't really care as long as the numbers come in off the field commercially, that they'll they'll crack on and, and be fine with that. No, they've got a guy now who wants to do well on the pitch as well. So I think that has given them a kick up at the backside. 
But for Eric Ten Hag, he's on trial for the next few months. As simple as that. Yeah, he, he also sort of opened the door. I say opened the door. He sort of just sort of left the door a little ajar for Mason Greenwood, which I thought, again, was um, okay. Right, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, but that's something that maybe he'll revisit in the summer. He, he spoke in, mainly about the fact that he wants to win on the field of play. And he actually was asked about the level of investment and what he was hoping to get back from it. And he said, look, I'm not here for the money. I make enough money from petrochemicals, gas, oil. You know, I don't I don't need to make any more money. I'm here to win. That's it. And he was pretty clear about that. And I thought he's, you know, he, he came out with some key messaging. He was obviously had three things that he wanted to say and he made sure that he, he, he did that, you know, uh, and he repeated it over and over and over again. Um, and, and he was right when he said, you know, they have improved since since they took over the club on Christmas Eve. They have improved. It, you know, Manchester United's performances on the pitch, the results on the pitch have been better. Performances haven't always been perfect. They've been a little bit patchy and they've been facing a lot of shots on goal and they've conceded a lot of goals as well. And even when they've got into good positions in games, they've given away leads at times and put pressure on themselves. And they can't afford to do that against the Fulham side, who, you know, they're on their on their day can be very good. If you look back at last week, you know, Aston Villa scored two goals against them, but still towards the end, they were pushing for an equaliser after getting back in, in that game. And it will be a tough match, I think, at Old Trafford uh, this weekend. But there might be some, some sort of good spirit, good will around because Jim... Is he now in charge? Uh, Luke Shaw's injury, what's the latest on that? Because it looks like he's going to be out probably until right to the very end of the season, which is not only bad news for Manchester United, but it's a concern for Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I think he'll probably be fit in time for the Euros. Um, sources were telling me yesterday United were hopefully might even be able to play for them again before the end of the season. But it's it's a big problem. Um, you know, that left-back left position has been a big issue throughout the season when Shaw's unavailable. Obviously, they made the decision to terminate Reguillon's Loan. Malassia is still injured. So you've got options. Do you bring Dallow across to play at left back? Do you play Lindelof there? He came on for him, of course, at Luton. But it's a big problem, not just for United, but a big problem for Luke Shaw. As looking at some stats last night, over the course of his Manchester United career, he's averaged 18 starts a season. That just isn't enough, is it, when you think about a, a team who hope to be competing, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe as well. So you need to be ready to go every three or four days. And you have to start to question why does he keep picking up these injuries? So I wonder long term if United will, will look at that left back area as a position under Ratcliffe that that needs some work. It is fascinating, isn't it? Because if you look at the three best fullbacks in the country in terms of, I mean, look, forget Trent Alexander Arnold because he doesn't play for England as often as the others do, and and arguably will be a midfielder eventually. But if you look at Shaw. Chilwell and James, three players I think Gareth would have identified as his first choice three fullbacks uh, in recent years. All of them have had massive injury problems and been ruled out for lots of spells during the course of that period. I just wonder, Scott, whether or not this fullback role is more demanding than we've ever given it credit for. Well, absolutely. I thought I was going to say more than it was back in the day. Um, <laughs> that just shows how durable that you all were. Exactly. Um, look, I think in terms of the right back position, I, I think England certainly, well, firstly under Carl Walker, but either either others have, have got that, that position covered. But left back is an issue for, for England. You know, Kieran Tripper goes on the left and he, he's a safe pair of hands, but he doesn't get forward down the left in the way that a Luke Shaw or Ben Chiel would. And physically, what they're asking the, the full backs to do, look, we tried to bomb on as much as possible, but if we didn't, then the stats wouldn't tell us, oh, you're not doing this now. Nowadays, the fullbacks, even in the back four, have to play 
like a wing back. And I just talked about Malagusta like that. It's an it. You have to be an athlete first to play that. And we know that those players are. But if you're going to be running up and down as much as you are, then you get hamstrings, you can get knees, you can get lots of different injuries. It's a big, big toll on the body. Whereas if you're playing in the centre midfield, you kind of, uh, you know, there's there's an area that you cover and and not so much more than that. Certainly even with, with centre-backs as well. So it's a tough one. And it's a, it's a problem not just for Manchester United here with Luke Shaw, but it's a problem for England with Gareth Southgate and, and, and Pochettino on top as well. Yeah, Tino Livramento, one of those, though, that uh, England could yeah. turn to. Uh, I think he's played very well for Newcastle uh, this yeah. year. Um, could be in the, in, could be ended up calling up in the March squad just to sort of have a look at him because that's an area, obviously, that they're vulnerable. Ben Chilwell, obviously, back to fitness. That's important for England as well. As for Fulham, interesting comments from Tony Khan this week. He spoke exclusively to Talk Sport in midweek and basically admitted that João Paulinha is going to be sold in the summer. Paulinha is a phenomenal player and I think Joao's uh, acclimation and his experience in the Premier League has shown he's a, he's been an amazing player and he's a huge part of the core of Fulham and we love having him here and I would want him as part of the team as long as possible. We were very happy to extend his contract and if the, the offer came along that made sense for everyone, I think that's something you have to consider with every player at the right time. So where's he going to go then? Well, Bayern Munich's interest has, has never gone away, although obviously that was largely driven by Thomas Tuchel. So maybe the incoming new manager, potentially Javi Alonso, will have a say on that. But I think he wants to be playing Champions League football. I think he deserves to be playing Champions League football. The issue he's got in this country, and we've mentioned it before, his people have touted him to, to all the big clubs at the top of the Premier League food chain. And certainly in the case of Chelsea, and maybe even Liverpool, uh, they've decided that he's he's too old, no resale value. So um, be interesting to see if Fulham have to lower their asking price as a result of that. Well, that, that I mean, I mean, Liverpool bought Wataro Endo, who's been terrific, by the way. So they they don't. Yeah, he didn't cost fifty million quid, did he? No, he didn't. And and but he is old, so let's not pretend that he's 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 fifteen. He's not. He's he's an older player, so they they were happy to commit that money to him. And, you know, he's done a very good job. So I don't think they need to spend that money in that area. Whereas, uh, you know, others might, certainly others might. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Manchester United could do with a player like João Paulinho in the middle of their uh, of their park. Imagine him and Maynou playing together. That would be a good little partnership. Uh, Arsenal against Newcastle is live on TalkSport this Saturday night, 8 o'clock. I am very look, much looking forward to doing this, mainly because I get to sit next to Scott for three hours. Um, uh, <laughs> Arsenal in midweek, not impressive, uh, but they have been in scintillating form in the Premier League. Jeremy wrote this, not me. They have been in scintillating form in the Premier League since their visit to Salt Bay's restaurant in Dubai. But is their squad about to be tested to the max now the Champions League is back up and running, Scott? I thought there was going to be a little joke about some sort of stake there, but no, it didn't come uh, our way. Um, Scott, what do, you th- what do you think? Do you think that, um, that the Champions League is going to test them? Because they haven't got as many games as the others. There's no cup competitions uh, that they're, they're still in, like Liverpool and Manchester City, apart from obviously the Champions no. League. Yeah, I, I get the feeling the way he's, he's talked about that, Jeremy, that he's been there. In Salt Bay's restaurant as I well. Think he, so, he might um, have done. I didn't I know who Salt Bay was until the World Cup final when he just turned up. No, no, no. Anyway, moving on swiftly from him. Um, look, no, no, you're you're right, but still, if you want to go deep into well, winning the Premier League and deep into the Champions League, which I think, by the way, as poor as Arsenal were, I still fancy them to 
at home. We saw against Liverpool the performance they put in and the, the way the crowd got behind them as well. And, and I can see them overturning Porto and getting into the quarters. And if you get a, you know, not an unkind draw, there's every chance they could get to the semi-finals. I think Arsenal, along with Inter, everyone talked about Bayern Munich, Manchester City, Real Madrid. Bayern Munich obviously have fallen off a little bit. Inter and Arsenal, for me, are, are the, the the dark horses. Inter, by the way, a better side than they were last year. And we know they got to the final. Um, but in terms of Arsenal, look, I, I, I think they have been in scintillating form. And people say, oh, well, it was a poor West Ham side and it's only Burnley. No, no they good. dominated. They dominated those games. They absolutely dominated those games. And Burnley one was not in the easiest of conditions. I watched the West Ham game from the first minute and they abs- it could have been 3-0 before they got their first goal. And that performance against Liverpool was very, very good. So, look, I'm willing to give Arsenal a pass in terms of how poor they were against Porto, but they need their best players fit. We saw what happened last season with Saliba when he got injured. They're finding ways of scoring goals without having that fox in the box so let's put that one to one side. It's going to be very difficult to win either of those competitions, but there's no reason why they, they can't get really, really close. And if they get it into the last couple of games in the Premier League, I think last year would have helped them a lot, plus the signing of Declan Rice as well. So they're very much in the game. And Newcastle have been conceding too many goals. In fact, they've conceded the most goals in the Premier League since uh, the start of 2024. They need to... Well, they've got to try and sort of change that if they are going to get past Arsenal at the weekend. There's been a lot of talk about uh, Dan Ashworth this week for for Newcastle and leaving and going on gardening leave. And one aspect that has been missed is the potential fee that Newcastle could command for him. And with their FFP issues, I mean, I mean, Manchester United got to pay because they can't wait until you know 2027 for him to start work. It would be a pointless exercise if if. So Jim Ratcliffe has got a three-year plan. He needs him in in the summer. So that means yeah. it's going to cost. How much is it going to cost, Alex? I don't think it's going to cost as much as twenty million. You know, clubs don't pay twenty millions for sporting directors. They're reluctant to even pay to buy managers out of their contracts. But I think it will take more than ten. Um, and I think United are probably prepared for that. But you're right that you know they can, they, they can send out all the signals they want to Newcastle that we're fine to wait, but they can't. They need him in situ for this summer transfer window because the rebuild starts now but for Newcastle as much as Dan Ashworth would be a loss I'm not sure that his relationship with Eddie Howe and the powers that be is is maybe quite as serene as as has been made out so maybe this is good timing for Newcastle because we know they're up against it financially we know they were going to have to sell probably one of their crown jewels in the summer I don't know if this would negate that but certainly it would help put some coffers in the kitty so this might not be as negative for Newcastle as people are suggesting. In fact, it might be one of those rare deals where it works out best for all parties. Uh, do we know who's lined up to replace him? The, the one name I've heard so far is that of Lee Dykes, who is the, the current technical director at Brentford. He's a, he's a Geordie, he's a boyhood Newcastle fan. Obviously, he's done a great job at Brentford, so keep an eye on him. Richard Hughes at Bournemouth has been mentioned as well, but I think more because of his relationship with Eddie Howe. I'm not entirely convinced by that one, but Newcastle will see this as an opportunity to, to bring in another, uh, you know, a guru, if you like. Scott? Sam, there's absolutely no way that they're not going to pay whatever the figure is. I mean, you're talking about £20 million and it might not be that. If it's £30 million, you pay it. If he's not going to be around for the next year or so, you're going to carry on wasting hundreds of millions of pounds. So it actually saves you money just to get him in the building ASAP. 
Yeah, I don't know how much they got to spend Manchester United, by the way, in the summer because no. of their £555 million splurge over the last couple of years. So it will be interesting to see um, what he has to work with in the summer, should it be that he gets to, to spend that money. Uh, let's move on to the rest of Saturday's action now, starting at Villa Park. We've got Arsenal uh, on Saturday night. But before that, we've got Aston Villa against Nottingham Forest live on TalkSport 2. And that kicks off at 3 o'clock. Uh, Pau Torres returned for Aston Villa last week. Fans will tell you that that is uh, uh, him. Uh, not Watkins, Louise or McGinn is their most important player. Um, 74% win rate when he starts. 17 when he doesn't. Can it be that a centre-half is that important, Scott? Well, look, the centre, a centre-half can be very, very important. You only need to look at the, the, the world-class ones down the years. But he's not more important than Ollie Watkins. I mean, if you saw his two goals last week, um, you could argue that Paul Torres started the moves, but it's Ollie Watkins with his movement, pace and finishing and twisting with the first goal as well. So he's more important. McGinn for me as well. I could, I'd argue Martinez, but those stats tell you a story that what he's able to do actually is is not just defend well, but he's a very good ball carrier and he's able to help bring some players out and then pass round them and start moves, really important moves. So look, I think he's been injured recently, isn't he? And that, that's coincided with the, a few of the losses and draws that they've had. I think Villa are always going to struggle in the second half of the season, but they've got once the Europe, Europa Conference League starts, I think they'll struggle even more. And that's why I still fancy Spurs for, for fourth. But he's a very important player, there's no doubt. And he's been one of the best signings, I have to say, in the Premier League. Um, Crook, I know you do quite a lot of work on Europa Conference League and, and Europa League on Thursday nights with TalkSport. Will you be cheering on Aston Villa uh, to the rafters and West Ham as well whenever they play in Europe on a Thursday night? And Brian? Well, well, Aston Villa in particular, uh, because I tipped them to win the Conference League at the start of the season, which wasn't the, the boldest shout in the world, but I, I still think Unai Emery can uh, pick up another European trophy. But you're talking, obviously, about the, the coefficient at the moment. I think England I are behind uh, Germany. and Is it Germany and Spain they're training behind at, at this moment in the time? Uh, uh, Germany and Italy, I think. Um, but um, Italy. I think it's... It's it's one of those scenarios there where a lot of headlines were made earlier in the week about you know the, the coefficient spot is not going to be enough for fifth place. It's a, it's 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 a movable feast, right? It changes every week. So Arsenal lost last night, so that doesn't help, right? So, no. um, but you know, and but none of the Spanish teams, uh, oh, Milan won, didn't they last Thursday night? So if Milan win again this week, then again it, it does. Wonders for their coefficient again. So, you know, it's going to keep going right to the very end. We'll get a better sort of vibe when we're down to like the semi-final stage and we can see what the the coefficient is. But as I've always said to you, I said to you right at the beginning of the season, everyone was going, oh, we'll probably get fifth place. I'm saying it's not going to be as easy as that because you had Newcastle, Manchester United in the Champions League and those two teams are not experienced Champions League teams at this moment in time. Manchester United have played in it, but they're not experience of going deep into that competition and Arsenal and Arsenal you know they're not they're not a European team I'm sorry I know that other people have said things like you know get them back to being European heavyweights but they've, they've never been European heavyweights Arsenal then they're, they're not a great European team go back to the days when they rented out Wembley to play there and it never it was never a, a success you know they, they they've won Champions League final they've only ever won Two European trophies, I think, maybe even one. I can't remember. But they—they're they, not. 
it's not it's not the big one they've never won the champions league uh so you know that that was always going to be a concern for me we'll see what happens with that so hopefully um Aston Villa, Brighton, Liverpool, West Ham can all do us a favour in the Europa League. But will they be thinking about the fact that they have to finish fourth? I mean, because that will really only guarantee you a place in the in the Champions League. And Aston Villa would love to to get there ahead of Tottenham and Manchester United. Well, none of the managers of those clubs have actually ever talked about top five. It's, it's all about top four. No. So I don't think they're taking it yeah. for granted in, in the same way that maybe we were at the start of the season. Um, I think in terms of the, of the top four, I, I would make, I, w- I would still make Spurs favourites. So I'm interested to see how they react to this little defeat they had at home to Wolves last week. I think United have left themselves too much to do for top four. I think the only way they get into the Champions League is, is top five. I just don't see Villa and Spurs dropping enough points between now and the end of the season to open up that route. Um, uh, as for Forest, how important is it uh, that uh, we hear about the potential points deduction soon? We can't keep playing week in, week out, not knowing what, what what's happening. I mean, Forest done very well actually last week to get three points on the board, Scott. But you know, come on, it's getting it, you know, it's, it's annoying me now. And I, I spoke to John Dice <laughs> two weeks ago about this, saying to him, you know, we need just need to know. And he's like, yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Imagine yeah. how I feel. Yeah, do you know what I, I do feel? Not just for them, but actually the teams around them. Because you know, sometimes you can go to a go to a team, and you say actually, and I'm not even talking about Forest here. You know, actually, a point's a good result. Whereas it could get late on if it's still weeks and weeks, and there's only a few games to go. Where you're then thinking we might have to go and win here. And yeah. you know, the bottom line is teams going into the the business end of the season, not just Forest, not just Everton, but everyone around them need to know going into games what's a good result, a point or three. Needs yeah. to get sorted as soon as possible. I made that point on game day uh, last Saturday. Um, that, you know, it, It's getting to the point now where people are going to start targeting results. You can't, you can't be in a situation where mm. uh, you don't know what this means for you in the overall context of the league. Otherwise, if that was the case, we wouldn't have a league table, right? We would never publish a league table. If it wasn't relevant, we would never publish it. It is relevant. And that's why we need to know where everybody is. Uh, Crystal Palace fall into that category as well. Uh, they picked up a point uh, in front of their new manager, Oliver Glasner, on Monday night in one of the worst games of football that I've seen for a very long time. Um, if anyone has got a problem with sleeping, just get a videotape of that bad boy. That'll sort you right out. Um, Crystal Palace played Burnley on uh, the weekend and it is a first game in charge for Oliver Glasner. Um, they played slightly differently on Monday night, but they did that against Everton in the FA Cup game. And it was down to Paddy McCarthy, actually, who decided that that was going to be the case. And I spoke to him afterwards and he was saying, you know, that we just thought it gives us a little bit more security and allows us to play and sort of deal with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is literally the best jumper I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he he can jump so high. I honestly think there's another career for him in sort of high jump or, or long jump or something, because he is unbelievable. He just needs to make sure that he scores some goals as well and he missed a couple of big chances again on Monday night. I was going to say, is, is that career involving not scoring goals? Because he'd be quite good at that. I mean, that, that first header he, he missed was an absolute sitter. And we were talking That'd about this on the golf course. Um, well, we, Scott, when I was teaching Scott a bit of a lesson. Um, oh, we I said- knew he'd... I wondered how long it would come before he mentioned the golf. <laughs> well, Honestly, I can't Sam, it's this I'm long. Ne- I've what, never what, seen what, anyone what with I'll, such what a I'll bad say, style. What I'll say, uh, Scott, is that it is 
is is Alex Crook's backswing um, about as good as Dominic Calvert-Lewin's finishing? <laughs> I'm not going to go there into criticising the forwards. You know I don't, but I'm happy to criticise Crookie's swing. The only thing is, if you if anyone watched him from afar, you'd be thinking, oh my God, how bad is he? But actually, yeah. he actually hit a pretty good score. Although, I have to say, it was a hand... Guess his handicap? 28. 32. Oh, give over. He's been playing for about 400 years. What a charlatan. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a 32 handicap. He's playing with broken ribs. Uh, What a charlatan. I I was trying to shoehorn that in, but we were talking about Calvert (laughs) Lewin and the fact that a couple of years ago, he'd have been a contender for a seat on the plane for the Euros, but he's so far away from that now. And injuries just seem to have taken their toll. His confidence is shot and you feel sorry for him. I still think actually in the summer, particularly if Everton go down, someone will take a chance on Calvert-Lewin and hope that he can get back to where he was because Newcastle were very keen when Eddie Howe first came in that that deal wasn't too far away. And knowing Eddie as I do, once he's got his heart set on a player, quite often, a number of years down the line, he tends to sign that player. And you can talk all you want about the fact that he hasn't scored goals, but his role in the team is so much more than that. And look, I went through his 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 sort of season before Monday night's game. And if you look at his XG per 90, it's higher this season than it was in the season that he got 16 goals under Carlo Ancelotti, which means basically he's getting into the same positions, if not better. He's having the opportunities in which he could have scored 15, 16 goals this season, but hasn't quite taken them. And you have to ask this, your, you know, yourself the question, is that being unlucky? Is it a different type of service that he's getting? Or is it the fact that he's making the, the selection, the shot selection wrong at the, at the vital moment? And I think all three of those are true. And if you actually look back at some of the chances, it is millimetres, tiny little fractions of angles that haven't gone his way. I think he's been a little bit unlucky too. And his his contribution to the rest of the team is very, very important. Like I said, that leap, he wins every aerial ball, bar none, against anyone. He's so good in the air. I mean, he was out jumping Joaquim Anderson the other night by miles, absolute miles. Um, and do you know what? He did it without using his arms, which is quite amazing. He doesn't get up. It's not like a big sort of, he doesn't elbow someone in the face to get up there, does he? He just gets up brilliantly. He's just... He is amazing. Anyway, um, Oliver Glasnick really couldn't have asked for a better game than this, could he? You know, Burnley at home. I mean, if they lose that, crikey, he's in massive trouble. But they'll be okay, won't they, Crystal Palace? Because um, they've got probably just about enough points on the board and and some good games coming up, I would have thought. Um, Right, okay. Friday night sees uh, Leeds take on Leicester in the Championship live on Talk Sport. We've got the Women's International on Talk Sport 2 at the same time. Uh, no 12.30 this Saturday. So Hull West Brom is live on Talk Sport 2 in the Championship. We're around the grounds with Adrian from 1 o'clock. Big build-up. He's got some help as well. Ray Parler is going to be there. Mickey Gray and Troy Deeney, uh, which is good. Um, but we've played a lot of quizzes with Troy Deeney. Um, <laughs> he's good fun. Um, <laughs> Aston Villa against something. He's not very good at quizzes. He got beaten by us. We smashed him and his mates. Him and Michael Ricketts thought they could take us on at a football quiz. Good luck with that, lads. Um, Aston Villa against Nottingham Forest in the Premier League. He's live on TalkSport 2. Uh, Arsenal against Newcastle with Scott and I at 8 o'clock on Sunday. The Carabao Cup final. Can't wait for that. We are excited. We hope you are too. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. 
Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.